to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. Austin. <laughs> and I'm the co-host, Austin. God. All right. Today, we are talking about a crazy story. It's called The Girl in the Box. But first, before we get started on that, we have some new Patreons. Are you ready? Love that. Amy Shunk. Love that. Leah Barrington. Absolutely love that. And Leslie Hornsberry. That's pretty cool. Kelly, why don't we do a little commercial real quick and let's tell the Patreons what they're going to receive. <laughs> Here's what you get. <laughs> you will get three stickers per month. It's probably going to go to two stickers because of inflation soon, and I hope nobody throws a fit. Um, I'll make that call because this is my podcast. Deal. So you're going to get three stickers in the mail. Deal. Um, you also get early release of the episodes. You get Patreon exclusive episodes and autographed letters from Kelly that your stickers come in. And a big thanks. My respect. Hell yeah. Okay, sorry for the scripted deal. I just wanted to make it our advertisement. Yeah, no, I wasn't even expecting that. So thank you. But also, um, we have a ton of new reviews. Thank you again. I, I just cannot say it enough. It means so much to us when you guys review our podcast. And also, when you subscribe and you share the podcast, I, you know, the goal here is obviously to get our podcast to as many ears as possible. So when you guys review and you comment and you share, um, it does a world of help for us. So the the subscribing you. and the reviews do big things. And it's crazy that there is as many freaks like you out there, Kelly, that like this weird stuff. So mm-hmm. it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, judge me all you want. You are entertained by this. I know that you are. I know you find it interesting. Maybe Absolutely. entertained is not the right word because it's not like we're talking about joyful, happy things. But I do think there are a lot of it's lessons. There's lessons to be learned from every episode. Um, I know of stories from people who avoided really dangerous situations because they were familiar with true crime stories and they knew what to do and what not to do. So I think there's a good purpose for true crime. Hey, this is random, but I'm going to recommend something. What? People should go back and listen to episode 71 BTK. Okay, why? I just think it was fucking wild. I freaking wild. You also loved the Lululemon story. That one blew your mind. The Lululemon one you was probably on the microphone. I get it. Look, there's a bubble on it. Listen, the, the Lululemon one was probably the most popular episode we've ever done. Episode 33. We had serious feedback. If you haven't listened to episode 33, whew, you're in for a treat. It's a whirlwind. Yeah. Anyway, Let's dive in. Well, one more thing. I was going to say Mama Minute. If you enjoy Mama Mystery, give Mama Minute a listen. Tell me what you think of Mama Minute because it's new. We're trying something new. So let us know how you like that. Anyway, here we go. You ready? Do it, girl. Okay. So, Colleen Stan. What are you doing? Sorry. Sorry. Just keep going. It's okay. People know that phone. they have phones. They know what happens. Why don't we just put your phone away? Kelly, record. So you can actually listen okay. and pay attention. Okay. Okay. Colleen Stan was born on December 31st of 1956. She grew up in a Southern California area called Riverside, and she was maybe a little sheltered growing up, but led a really happy life. She had a close relationship with both of her parents. Her parents divorced when she was young, and... She lived primarily with her dad, but her mom lived just down the street, and she maintained a good relationship with both parents. Her father remarried a woman with kids, so they blended their family, kind of like a Brady Bunch situation. And Colleen was the oldest of all the kids. So her step-siblings all looked up to her as she was, like, 
kind of a self-proclaimed queen of the household. She kind of kept all the other kids in check. She had a quirky, upbeat spirit, but was also very strong-willed, maybe sometimes a little bossy. Then in 1977, Colleen was 20 years old and recently moved up to Eugene, Oregon with some friends. So on May 19th, she wanted to go surprise her friend Linda back in Northern California for Linda's birthday. So she got into her car to start the 400-mile trek, but her car wouldn't start. So she decided to hitchhike down there instead. And hitchhiking in the 70s was like a regular and normal mode of transportation. Which is crazy. Can you imagine? No, I cannot. Gee, many Christmas. Yeah. Things have most definitely changed. It is kind of crazy to think about how things, how lax things used to be, even when you and I were kids. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's a vast age difference between you and I. Cougar! But I remember being able to play outside and run around the whole neighborhood. And, you know, now, like, I don't know that I would even let Jack and Kennedy do that. It's Mm -hmm. crazy. But anyway, hitchhiking was a way of life for many people. Many young people in the 70s believed in the goodness of people. So they had a high level of trust in strangers, unlike how things are today, obviously. So on her way, she evaluated every potential ride. She turned down ones that made her feel uneasy. Like, for example, there was a car full of five men that tried to pick her up. By that afternoon, she'd made it about 350 miles of her 400-mile trip. She was almost there when a blue van pulled up with a young family inside. There was a man, a woman, and a little baby. She said she thanked her lucky stars because what would be a more ideal ride than a young family, right? They're Mm -hmm. harmless. So she hops into the back seat and they go on her way. Colleen introduces herself to the Hooker family. So Cameron Hooker, who was only three years older than Colleen, worked as a lumber mill worker and his wife Janice took care of their infant son. Cameron and Janice met in 1973 when Janice was only 15 years old and Cameron was about 20. Janice had never had a relationship prior to Cameron, so he was very much her first love, and her lack of experience kind of made her submissive to Cameron in a lot of ways. So as they're driving, (coughs) you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) Sorry. You've got to be kidding me. What? The sneeze travels 12 feet. Austin Reed. Come on. You sneeze right directly into the mic. That is so rude to all of our listeners. You probably just blew out everybody's speakers. I apologize. You're not sorry. I am too. What do you want me to do about it? I pulled a nose hair and it made me sneeze. <laughs> Why don't you just focus? Like I need I don't know what's happening. I know what's happening. The Cameron Hooker and the Hooker family and that he's older than his wife and so on and so forth. Keep going, please. I'm sorry for sneezing, everybody. <laughs> all right. I don't even know where I left off. How many podcasts do people sneeze on the mic and they keep it? That's raw, authentic. Hell yeah. Come on. Sorry, babe. You're doing great. You really are doing fantastic. I mean, you tell these stories fantastic. You have a great voice for this. Keep going. Okay. So anyway, as they're driving, Colleen begins to notice that Cameron is staring at her through the rearview mirror. Weird. About half hour and half hour into the ride, they stop at a gas station, and Colleen got this like gut feeling that she just needed to get out and run and not look back. So she gets out, she goes to the bathroom, but then she thought, "This guy is with his wife and kid. I'm probably just overreacting, right?" 
So she gets back mm, into follow the your gut. Car. Follow your gut. Exactly. I don't know what happens now because we're on Mama Mystery. Well, you don't know what happens now, but I know you it's just not good. wait. So she gets back in the car and they hand her a candy bar that they bought um, from inside. Stop picking your nose hairs. I'm Enough. so serious. You treat this off. That's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't care. Go ahead. Okay, so they bought her the candy bar from the gas station, probably hoping to kind of ease her nerves. Maybe they sensed that she was getting nervous. Maybe it was a weed candy bar. I don't think it was. I think it was a normal candy bar. Okay. So anyway, she gets back into the car, but she notices that there's a wooden box sitting next to her now that wasn't there before. Strange. Strange. So about a mile down the road, Cameron and Janice mentioned that there are some amazing ice caves that they wanted to check out really quick since it was on the way. So they veer off onto a dirt road, but Colleen soon noticed that they were getting further and further into the middle of nowhere. Am I the only one that doesn't know what an ice cave is? I mean, I, I don't know what an ice cave is. I just assume it's a cave with ice. Pause and I'll Google it. Okay, an ice cave is any type of natural cave that contains significant amounts of perennial ice. Wow, groundbreaking. I'm just saying, you like, who it's the heck? literally what I just said. Where, where, are the, where is this located again? Where did you say in the very beginning? In Northern California. Okay, I wouldn't expect them to have ice caves there, Kelly. It's California. They have, like, every type of climate there is. I wouldn't have think they'd have real-life igloos, real-life-sized igloos. Keep going. Okay, so anyway, <clears throat> they're going off on this dirt road, and Colleen soon noticed that they're getting further and further into the middle of nowhere. And then Cameron just pulls off to the side of the dirt road and stops the car. As if it was rehearsed, Janice and the baby get out of the car, leaving Cameron and Colleen in the car. Cameron pulled out a knife and put it up to Colleen's throat, asking her if she was going to do whatever he said, to which she said yes, not knowing what else to say, of course, because any other answer would have probably cost her her life right there in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. So Cameron then handcuffed, blindfolded, bound, and gagged Colleen in the back of his car. And then Cameron picked up that big homemade wooden box with metal hinges on the side and a hole in the bottom, barely big enough for someone's neck. It's double walled. It weighs about 20 pounds. And he puts the box over Colleen's head and latches it shut. What? So inside the box, it's also insulated with carpet, making it super heavy, hot, hard for her to breathe. It insulates it. So I don't even know if her screams are really heard that well, if she even tried to scream. But she can barely breathe. She can't hear or see anything. Talk about claustrophobic, too. Oh, my God. And then, like, the car is moving. You have no idea where oh. you're going. Like, I would vomit in the box. So. Man, then, what if you just started swinging your head around and hitting shit with your box head? I'm not trying to be funny. I'm sorry. I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, it's, I'm it's, not laughing. I'm saying, like, seriously, though, you have this freaking big-ass 20-pound box on your head. You yeah. almost dive into the front seat and start ramming it in the driver or something. Yeah, just, like, but I'm just saying, can with it. Yeah, and that's easier said I than done. I see what you're saying. It, I'm easier said than done when you're not the person in the box. Right, and, what I mean, 20 hell? pounds is pretty heavy to be having on your head, and you're Jesus. in this, like, traumatic situation. Mm-hmm. Yikes. I don't know what I would do. So then he covered Colleen with what she assumed was her sleeping bag that she'd been carrying with her for her trip. And then he started the car and drove off. So with Colleen in the backseat, Cameron and Janice stopped at a fast food restaurant to grab some dinner before then going home. All the while, Colleen is bound in the back of the car, hidden by this sleeping bag. What kind of weirdos are you to go grab dinner casually? Exactly. Like, do you want to grab Panda on the way home? Yeah. You know what? I'm in the mood for Chipotle. 
okay, like what? Why this person's in your back seat bound? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just hanging out. Freaking weirdos. When they arrived at their final destination, Cameron took off all the restraints and pulled Colleen out of the vehicle and into their house. So he leads her downstairs into a cellar and he orders her to stand on top of a cooler and lift her arms above her head. Then he uses a leather strap to tie her wrists around a pipe that hung down from the ceiling. And once he had her wrists secure, he took her clothes off and kicked the cooler out from underneath her, letting her hang from the pipe by her wrists. Oh my God. She kicked and fought back, but Cameron told her, go ahead and scream. I'll cut your vocal cords. I've done it before. And then hit it or hit her repeatedly with a whip. So unknown to Colleen was that Cameron and Janice had actually done this before. On January 31st of 1976, they picked up 19-year-old hitchhiker Mary, or I'm sorry, Marie Elizabeth Spanhake. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that name right, but that's how it's spelled. Um, she was abducted from Chico, California. They picked her up and brought her all the way to her destination, but when she got out of the car, Cameron pulled her back into the car and took her to their home. He did the exact same thing to Marie. He tied her by her wrist to a pipe in the ceiling and tortured her for an entire day before finally shooting her in the stomach with a pellet gun and then strangling her. Her body was buried near the Lassen Volcanic Volcanic National Park, but was never found. And at the time, her boyfriend, John Baruth, was considered the prime suspect because he admitted they had gotten into an argument right before she disappeared. Can you imagine how awful that is? Like, you get into a fight, so she just takes off, maybe to, like, take a breather, cool off, and then she gets abducted. And killed. And killed. And the You're last, the fall guy. And, yeah, and not only is, like, your last moment with her a fight, then you're considered the prime suspect in her disappearance. Like, what a nightmare. Yeah. So now Colleen has taken Marie's place in their small pink painted home. And as she's hanging by her wrists from the ceiling in their basement, Cameron brings Janice down to have sex in front of Colleen. Like, that just baffles me. So Colleen just hangs her head and cries. Cameron takes Colleen down from the pipe and forces her into this box. So this is a different box. It's like a large wooden crate, but in the shape and size of a coffin. There's hooks and chains attached to the inside to bind Colleen's wrists and ankles in the box. And she's forced to wear the head box in there as well. Oh my God. The box was only high enough for her to sit up and long enough for her to lay down. Like, I can't even imagine how terrifying that is. When I was researching this and writing this, I thought to myself, trying to imagine how terrifying that would be. Not only are you abducted, but now you're shoved into this tiny box. With a box on your head. With another box on your head. Like, you oh. just got raped. Like I feel like I would I would die from terror. Well, that's what I, I'm thinking, and I know this is like easier said than done, and like I completely realize how maybe ridiculous this will sound, okay? But you hear something like this and you think, do you go absolutely nuts and try to get out and end up getting killed. Is that the better option than this? I mean, my God. Now, if I don't know how the story ends, but I'm just saying that's, mm-hmm. I know how a lot of these end. Yeah. Well, and we saw that's how it ended with Marie. We can only assume that she probably fought back and mm-hmm. maybe it cost her her life. 
So, or I'm sorry, with Marie. I don't know if I said Marie or Colleen. You did. You I did. meant Marie. Yeah. So the next morning, he takes Colleen out of the box and walks her over to what he calls the racks. So the rack is like a table that she laid on with the box still attached to her head. And he left her on the rack for days while he built a new box for her to stay in. He would let her out of the box and the rack once per day to use like a bedpan to go to the bathroom and he would feed her, but it would only be something super small, like a leftover sandwich and some water, not much. Then he'd hang her back up to the ceiling and start torturing her. This was like their routine. So meanwhile, back at home, Colleen's family is super worried about her because they haven't been able to get a hold of her. So they contact the police and the police just blow it off, saying essentially that she's an adult and probably chose to run off and start a new life. They really minimized the severity or concern of the situation, which we've seen happen a lot on this podcast. It's pretty disappointing. Months and months go by, and Colleen at this point doesn't even have a true concept of exactly how much time has passed because she's been deprived of all of her senses. She's been kept in this dark box for hours, days, weeks on end. Seven months into her torture, Cameron is looking through one of his... And he's raping her and doing all the same he's stuff? doing all this stuff. Seven months. We're going on seven months now. Like, imagine how long it would feel to go through this for an hour. Oh, God. I seven can't. months? Mm-hmm. So is he feeding her food and stuff? Barely. He's barely feeding her. He's torturing her. And one day, he's going through one of his many, his vast collection of uh, adult magazines when he comes across this BDSM article that features a slave contract. So he loves this idea and goes out and rents a typewriter and has his wife Janice copy this draft of a slave contract word for word. This is so fucked. I try to keep my language pretty clean. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. So it kind of reminds me of the guy from Overland Park. That we did a story on. Do you remember uh, the dude that John was cutting Robinson? up all the people, cutting them up and putting them in trash no, bags? That was the Casey Butcher. I'm talking about John. I think his name was John Robinson, and he um, had slave contracts with people, and he was like hiding women in barrels after he killed them. Yeah, okay, I remember mm-hmm. that one. Or happened in Olathe, I think. Anyway, so he goes out. He rents this typewriter. He has his wife Janice copy this draft of a slave contract word for word. And then he goes downstairs and unlocks Colleen from this box and takes off her blindfold. And this is the first time she's actually been able to see anything without the blindfold for seven months. So Cameron, it's like first time seeing daylight. Yeah, or anything, anything at all, anything. She's had her eyes blindfolded. I, I would imagine your eyes would like hurt from like it would like be too bright, like glaring yeah. in your face. Yeah. So Cameron presents to her this slave contract and tells her that he is a part of this greater sex slave trading company and that they know she's there and that she has to sign this contract and that if she tries to run away, the people in this company will find her, torture her, and kill her. Not only that, but if she didn't sign it or if she tried to leave, they would also come after her family. So against Colleen's will, she signs this contract in fear for her life. And you have to imagine what your mental state would be after seven months of torture like that. I think you would be easily confused. I mean, you're, of, you're, you are not intact. Think of how a, a dog would act that gets beat mm-hmm. and how, how scared you'd be. And like, yeah, yeah it'd, be, it'd be crazy. Terrifying. 
So from that moment on, she was to go by the name Kay, and Colleen no longer exists. She was known as just the letter K. This change of identity also allowed for new freedoms. So Kay was allowed out of the box more and more at night. She was allowed to actually come upstairs and do chores. And this was like little by little. They were just giving her crumbs at this point. Like you can come up the stairs, but you have to do the dishes. And then you have to go back downstairs, essentially, is what they were doing. I'm like praying this results in her getting away. So the sexual abuse also hit a new level as well when Cameron actually raped her in front of Janice, his wife, making Janice sick to her stomach. So that was actually the only time Cameron ever raped Kay in front of Janice. Like that's the only time that ever happened. And from what I've read, a lot of his abuse, his sexual abuse didn't actually involve Penetration. Not that that makes it any better or easier to hear, but just putting it out there. So 11 months into her kidnapping, Cameron and Janice moved their family into a smaller home further away and more isolated. But this mobile home did not have a basement. So Cameron built a new box that would support their waterbed. So now Kay is staying in this box directly under their bed. Can you even imagine that? I mean, like, that's where you're housed, like, 23 hours a day. You live in a box under their bed in a a mobile home. And you can hear them doing whatever they're doing on the bed, whether they're sleeping or doing other things. But, like, it's got to be pretty low to the ground. I mean, that would just... I I can't. I can't wrap my head around it. Mm -hmm. So Colleen's family, meanwhile, is still refusing to give up hope. And her mom and stepdad... How long has it been at this point? 11 months. So her mom and stepdad hire a private investigator to help search for Colleen. They shelled out tons of time and resources to try to find Colleen, but the private investigator quickly gave up hope and told them she was probably not alive. When random cases would pop up of bones being found, they'd come to Colleen's family to compare her dental records, thinking it could be the remains of Colleen. So I feel like at this point, they're not even trying to look for a living Colleen. They probably are just convinced that she's dead. Where would you even look? I don't know. I don't even know where you would start. So more than a year into Colleen or Kay's kidnapping... In 1978, she's still being kept in this box underneath Cameron and Janice's waterbed when Janice gets pregnant with the couple's second child and actually gives birth on that waterbed right on top of Colleen. And as time went on, a level of trust was built between Colleen and her captors, which allowed Colleen a little more freedom to eventually start working outside in the yard or even go for jogs. So why she would come back? Because she was so scared. So why didn't she run? Okay. According to Colleen, she was so fearful of this, quote, company that Cameron warned her about that she felt if she ever tried to escape, they would come after her and her family. She actually believed it. She took that very seriously. And you have to understand, we're talking days, weeks, months. Now we're going on years on end of complete isolation, abuse, and manipulation, They completely stripped Colleen of her identity, her senses, any feeling of security. So it's pretty amazing what prolonged abuse can do to alter your perception of reality. Mm -hmm. In 1981, Colleen was finally allowed to contact her family. This is like four years later? Mm Mm-hmm. She's finally allowed to contact her family, her family who has been searching for her for years now. 
Cameron drove Colleen about an hour away from their home so that she could call them from a payphone. She gets in touch with one of her stepsisters and gets to have just a really short phone call with them. All the while, Cameron is coaching her on what to say, what not to say. And this all reignites hope for Colleen's family, of course, that maybe they can find her, they can bring her back home. And then after a few years, Cameron finally allows her to actually physically visit her family. So after four years of captivity, Colleen is allowed to actually visit her family, but he's coming with her and she has to introduce him as her boyfriend, Michael Powers. So he tells her that the company has allowed for this visit to happen, which is just unheard of in the company and a real treat, but they'll be watching and they have watchers set up all around the house. So Cameron tells her what she can and can't talk about. And as long as she agrees to follow these rules, she can visit her family. So he brings her to her family's home and he doesn't really interact with her family much before he tells them all that he's going to a conference and he'll be back to pick her up in a couple of days. Wait, does he meet them? Yes. He takes her to her house. And does he say, yeah, I took her or what? No, he has her, you have to pay attention. He introduces himself as her boyfriend and he makes her introduce him as her boyfriend, Michael Powers. Okay, gotcha. Stay off your phone and pay attention. Sorry. (laughs) So he brings her to her family's home. He doesn't really interact with the family much. And then he leaves and says he's going on a conference and he'll be back. But he leaves Colleen there. So the whole time she's there, she's on edge, worried about who could be listening and what could happen if she tells her family the truth, right? Her family actually assumes that maybe she's part of a cult or a commune because the way she's dressed in like homemade clothes and her odd behavior, being missing for so long, only to reappear out of nowhere, it just kind of like sparks some questions, right? For sure. But they didn't want to push because they were afraid that they would just lose her again. So they were very careful interacting with her. The next morning, Cameron shows back up earlier than expected to retrieve Colleen. But before they leave, Colleen's stepmom insists on getting a picture of the couple before they leave. So Colleen wraps her arms around Cameron's neck and takes a picture, smiling, and they look like this happy couple. Are you going to put the picture on Instagram? Mm Mm-hmm. I will. So they leave and they go back to their mobile home. And I'm not sure what exactly changed, but Cameron started putting Colleen back in the box for nearly 24 hours a day, only opening the box to feed her and torture her once per day. This 23 per hour, I'm sorry, 23 hour per day seclusion lasted for more than three years. Oh my God. But something finally began to soften in Janice. Janice, for years, held on to this like deep hatred for Colleen that likely stemmed from jealousy watching Cameron be intimate with her, even if it was against Colleen's will. But something flipped. Maybe when Colleen started to like really deteriorate and Janice would start letting Colleen out of the box during the day while Cameron was at work, they would study the Bible together and never really became friends in that sense of the word, but they tolerated each other's presence better. And I think Janice probably started having a little more compassion for Colleen and started realizing this isn't Colleen's choice. She doesn't want to be here, or at least I can hope that that's where her head was at. So with this, Cameron started allowing Colleen out of the box more. And again, according to Janice and Cameron's kids, Colleen or Kay, as they still called her. And the kids know that she's staying in this box. Oh yeah. 
How old are the kids? Like four or five? At this point, one seven or something has to be at least seven. Oh. So they considered Kay or Colleen, but they all called her Kay, was their like live-in babysitter. But at one point, money started getting really tight, and the only solution Janice and Cameron could come up with was for Colleen to go get a job. So one day they surprised Colleen with a shower, some clothes, a little hair and makeup, and they take her to a motel to apply for a housekeeping position. And Colleen actually got the job right then and there and started cleaning the very next day. So while Colleen is out working, earning money for the family, Janice is becoming increasingly remorseful and anxious over the things that they've been doing with Colleen. This anxiety is amplified when Cameron starts expressing his interest in bringing in more slaves. So Janice goes to a friend and admits some of the things that they've been doing. And this friend, disgusted by what she's hearing, tells Janice, quote, you have a daughter. What if he was doing this to your daughter? End quote. And with that, Janice snapped. Janice goes to the motel where Colleen is working, finds Colleen in a room cleaning, just doing her job. And she says, hey, we need to talk. Cameron is not a part of any company. He's been lying to you. You need to get out of here and go home. This is like seven years. I get the goosebumps. Mm-hmm. The goosebumps hit. It's been like seven years. Yes. She also, had, like, how did that never register with you before? Why did somebody have to tell you? You have a daughter. What if someone was doing this to your daughter? Mm-hmm. Why did it take so long for that to enter your brain? So anyway, she also admitted that Cameron had been abusing her since their early years of dating, but that Janice coped with the abuse by living in denial and essentially compartmentalizing everything that had been done to her. Colleen has trouble processing this as she is in total shock, but she immediately, like on the spot, quits her motel job and Colleen and Janice start planning her escape for the very next day. So now it's August of 1984 And Colleen is finally about to escape her seven-year-long captivity. Seven years, Austin. Oh, my God. The day after Janice tells Colleen the truth, Cameron leaves for work, and this is her chance. Janice drives Colleen to the bus station, but before Colleen gets on a bus, she spots a payphone. She picks up the phone and calls Cameron, and she says, quote, What? I'm getting on a bus. I'm going home. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. And she hung up the phone, got on the bus, and went home. She didn't even give him a chance to respond. Oddly enough, for months after she returned home, Colleen admits that she would occasionally call Cameron and Janice in hopes that Cameron would start to change his ways and maybe reform his life and show some sort of remorse. What? Colleen didn't go to the police with what had happened, and she didn't admit to her family what she had been through either. In fact, it was Janice that ultimately told her pastor everything her and Cameron did, from kidnapping Colleen to keeping her as a slave for seven years. It was Janice that told police that Cameron kidnapped, tortured, and murdered Marie Elizabeth Spanhake, and that they did the exact same thing with another girl, except that she hadn't been murdered. Police were unable to find Marie's remains, and without Marie's body, police weren't able to charge anyone with her murder, but they did feel that they had sufficient evidence to charge him with the rape, kidnapping, and torture of Colleen Stan. So they offered Janice immunity in exchange for her to testify against her husband, but feared it might not be enough to hold up in court. 
because Cameron tried to suggest that his relationship with Colleen was a consensual one. I mean, after all, they have this picture of Colleen with her arms around him, smiling from ear to ear, right, at Colleen's parents' house. But in addition to Janice and Colleen's testimonies, investigators were able to provide some physical evidence of the torture, such as the holes in the walls that housed the hooks from which Colleen hanged, the box under the waterbed, the head box, rack, leather restraints, and the sex contract. All of these things corroborated their testimonies. So Cameron Hooker was ultimately charged with 16 felony counts of kidnapping, rape, and other sexually violent crimes. And this case was really confusing for media and locals alike. It's confusing for us who are (laughs) listening. What the hell? Rather than have compassion or sympathy for Colleen, people questioned why she would stay for as long as she did when she seemed to have multiple opportunities to escape. Can I talk? Go ahead. No. Okay, Jesus. They also questioned her her affect because she showed, and still to this day in her interviews, she shows little to no emotion when she talks about her ordeal, but that's often a sign of PTSD. Okay, I'm talking. I don't care. I, what I was going to say was, it, it, it's, holy crap. It's one thing, like questioning why she didn't leave and stuff. I think that's kind of hardcore because she was in a mental mess. Like, I think she was a probably... Box. A yeah. mental box. However, I, the part I would be questioning is, why did you call him and talk to him and not call the police and not tell anybody? That's weird. Okay, so we're going to get to that in just a second. Someday we're going to do video of this. We're going to have camera angles to promote these. And you're going to see that I look at Kelly a lot of times with my jaw on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I don't have anything to say. So I want to answer your question. I'll actually just go ahead and address it now because it's going to make more sense. But have you ever heard of Stockholm Syndrome? I have, but I don't know what it is. Stockholm Syndrome is a condition in which hostages develop a psychological bond with their captors during captivity, and it often results from a rather specific set of circumstances, namely the power imbalances contained in hostage-taking, kidnapping, and abusive relationships. So it's essentially when the kidnappee or the kidnapped victim develops feelings and security for their kidnapper because it's all they really know. And she's been abused for years and years on end. I mean, we're talking seven years of being held captive in a fucking box, a box, not just a home, not just a basement, a coffin. That has to fuck you up psychologically Mm -hmm. beyond repair, I would Mm -hmm. think. So it does not surprise me that she had these types of reactions. It would surprise me if anyone else in a normal situation didn't have those, you know, or had those same reactions, but she's been through hell. So yeah, pretty much anything she could do, nothing's going to shock me. Mm -hmm. So shockingly though, the jury deliberated for a couple of days. I'm just kind of surprised they took that long. But ultimately, they found Cameron Hooker guilty on all but one of the 16 charges that he was charged with. He was sentenced to 104 years in prison, but will be eligible for parole in 2030. However, now prosecutors are taking this case to civil court and asking that he be classified as a, quote, sexually violent predator, which would keep him confined to a mental health facility. And this is due to the increased effort to release prisoners because of COVID-19. That case is slated to begin sometime this year. 
Janice tried to make a new life for herself. She changed her name. I don't know what she's up to now. I don't care. She and Colleen do not keep in touch. And in 1987, Colleen had a daughter with a man that she had met the previous year in 86. And although she tried to lead a happy, normal life, she really had a hard time with her relationships. And she's been married four times now. She's what, 67, 68 now? She was born in 56, I think you said. She has a daughter who is now an adult and has gone through some legal trouble of her own. And in 2009, Colleen wrote a book based on her experiences called The Simple Gifts of Life. Did you read it? I have not read it. I'm sure it's not like about that. I think it is. I I think it details what she went through and probably how she overcame it. Oh my God. So... Yeah, I told you this was a wild one, Austin. I told you. Every single episode, I sit there and I think, God, this might be the craziest one. And then I think back and it's like, oh, maybe not. And then you drop a crazier one. Mm -hmm. Shit's nuts. It's crazy. How do you enjoy it? I get it. We've talked about it before. I don't enjoy it. I just find it so fascinating. But yeah. Yeah. Until next week. Mama. Hey, wait, 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 wait. What? It's Kelly's birthday this weekend. Oh, (laughs) thanks. Good job, babe. You did great. Love you. Mama. I love you. Mystery. Out.